second. Um, hey, welcome back to the house. We are in 2014, if you haven't looked at your calendar. And um, if this is your first time, if this is a New Year's resolution to check out the house, um, my name is David Burke. I'm the director here. And uh, you met Hannah, one of our interns, and uh, we have several others as well uh, here to meet with you, as well as Jason and Kirsten on our staff. And um, we are here um, to help all of us grow in a knowledge and love of Jesus. And that's, uh, that's simply why we're here. And this semester, we are embarking on a new series that we're calling Living in Between. Living in Between, Waiting for God to Do More. And we'll get to what that's going to be about. But this idea of living in between is something that I think all of us, regardless of where we are in our lives, is that we're in between places. You all that are in college right now, you are in between kind of high school and whatever comes after college. That's obvious. But how many of you have, have came to college being told or you had in the back of your mind somewhere that what you do here will prepare you for the rest of your life. That's why you go to college, right? Is that you're in between kind of where you are now and what you one day will do. So that's what we're going to be looking at this semester is this whole idea of when we find ourselves in between places. And we're going to be looking at several different figures in the pages of Scripture that found themselves in that same place. They were either given a promise, something happened to them, and they were waiting for something to be fulfilled. And I would imagine that every single one of us in this room can identify with that experience right there, can identify with that experience of having a certain childhood or having something traumatic happen to you, and you're waiting for it to be reconciled or forgiven or, or fulfilled or, or you're wondering even if it can be. And the, the, the years that you're in right now, you, you, you have no real idea about what the future holds, but you have this idea that you're supposed to be here at UTC or Chat State or wherever you're at school and that you're going to be reaching into the future and what you're doing now, the decisions you're making, the things that you're studying, the friendships that you have will have an impact on your future. That's what we're going to be talking about all this semester. And that tension that we feel when we're wondering, when do we finally reach that place? Especially in our relationship with, with God. If we have this relationship with God, we're, we're told again and again and again that that. Things will change or get better. And many of us find ourselves saying, well, well, how long, God? How long until these things that you promised will actually happen? And we should know that we're, all of us are in good company with the people in the pages of the Bible when we're asking ourselves that question because again and again and again, God's people ask themselves these questions, how long? So some of you that follow our little Instagram account, a lot of you might not even know that we have one today, saw that we put up some pictures, and 
they're here in front of us, these three little figures. There's, um, I went to Walmart today and uh, picked up this um, nice little child's toy. Um, this is a witch that, um, how many of you played with brats growing up? Guys? Yeah? Guys? A lot of brats? Well, this is Bratzilla. This is the latest. And you can dress up witches 21 different ways um, for $7.97 at Walmart at the foot of Signal Mountain. Um, I have two daughters. I would never, ever, ever buy this. I mean, I would hand this to my daughter and I'd go, have some nice nightmares, honey. Um, so anyway, no offense if you're a big Bratzilla fan. Um, you can have this. Um, then we have a pair of Thomas's running shoes. And I'm not quite sure if I want to pick them up. Um, if you know Thomas, our intern, if you walk into the intern office, you can learn all kinds of things about Thomas because most of his life is spread out throughout the office. Most of his wardrobe, dirty clothes, food stuff is all in that office. So I'm a little worried. I'm going to take a chance. These are Thomas's running shoes. Here they are, Nike somethings. And um, <laughs> I think you stepped in something. Um, but this has to do with running. Running shoes are for running, right? So we have a witch, we have a pair of running shoes, and then over here we have a platter of fruit and a little cup. And um, it's fake, fake fruit. Also Walmart, $2.97. Um, so what we put on our little Instagram thing was, what do these three things have to do with? What on earth could a witch, a pair of running shoes, and a platter of food have to do with? Well, we'll get to that at the, at the end. But for now, I want to talk about this passage that we find in the book of Hebrews. It's in the New Testament. And most scholars would say no one knows who wrote this letter, which makes it kind of interesting. But in Hebrews chapter 11, the author of Hebrews lists off a number of different figures that are found in the pages of Scripture. And, they, and the, the author says that all of these figures went through the same thing. All of these people in Hebrews 11 from the Old Testament through every kind of different era in God's people's history went through the exact same thing. That's an interesting way to look at Scripture that every single one of these people went through something similar together. I'm going to read a couple of verses. Last, year, or last semester we did this series entitled Felt Bored Jesus where we looked at a lot of Sunday school stories. Well, Hebrews, uh, in Hebrews 11, Noah is mentioned, and, and Noah's Ark is one of those great Sunday school uh, lessons. Though, how many of you all have seen the trailer for the new movie with uh, Russell Crowe and Noah? It's supposed to come out fairly soon. It looks amazing. Um, but let's read what Hebrews 11 says about Noah and then Abraham. If you grew up in Sunday school, um, you know that uh, Father Abraham was a favorite song. So Hebrews 11, 7 and 8 says, By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. 
And then by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. So in both of these cases, both in Noah and in Abraham, they were given an instruction or a command to obey. They were given a promise. And they didn't exactly know where it was going to end up. But they obeyed anyway. And Hebrews 11 is all about this idea of of having faith or trust or hope that God is trustworthy and up to something, that that God's plan, God's story for the world is moving somewhere. So Noah and Abraham did these things trusting that God was up to something. So... These are just two characters that we find that did something without entire knowledge about the way it was going to turn out. How many of us struggle with making those same kind of decisions? About wanting to know all the possible outcomes of a decision before we make that decision, before we're willing to take a risk. We talk to our friends, we analyze it, we we go over it in our head, in our mind, and we pray about it, all these things, we seek wisdom. And many of us are afraid to even pull the trigger on that decision because we can't see exactly how it's going to turn out. Noah and Abraham made these decisions, trusting indeed that, against all odds, against all kind of people that were perhaps speaking things against them, they trusted God to, to move forward. Now let me step back from a mo- for a moment and ask us this question. If you were to set a goal in your life, if you were to look out at something in your life, and you were to set a goal, and you attained that goal, how does that end up in your life? Let me, let me maybe make a, an illustration that might have hit home recently. For those of you that were in school last semester, do you remember what it was like during finals week? You remember a little bit? I saw some of you in the hub, and you were kind of human, okay, during finals week. And you could tell that in your mind and in your heart, you were saying to yourself, if I just can make it to the end, right? If I can just make it to the end of finals week, to Christmas break, I'm going to be fine. And life is going to be perfect when finals week is over. You remember thinking those kind of things? Now, let me ask you a question. Was life after finals all that you thought it was going to be? When you actually attained that completion of the semester, was it everything that you had hoped for? Think about other things in your life that you've done that same thing with. If I get on this team, if I get this position, if I get this girl or that guy, how many times have you thought that in your life and then you actually received that? You were given that. You accomplished that thing, whatever it was, And shortly after, you realize it wasn't so great, right? 
It's, it's, an, uh, it's a common thing that among professional athletes that strive and strive and strive for that championship. And they finally get it. When they get interviewed about it later, years down the road, there was very shortly after accomplishing that thing was a sense of discontent. Those of you that stayed up last night and watched the national championship game in Florida State knocking off Auburn, the coaches and the players are rejoicing today. But do you know that in about a week, the media in Tallahassee, Florida, is going to start talking about their chances of doing it again next year? That's the way it works because our world is, is it, it's almost it's this endless cycle of discontent. And so my question is, is, what would you rather have? Strive for a goal again and again and again and then finally attain it? Or what do you think about this? If you were to strive for a goal, but you never fully accomplish it, what would that do to you? You strive for something and it seems kind of always out of reach. Now, one obvious consequence of that is that it would be frustrating, right? It would be a frustrating thing to, to feel like this goal is constantly out of reach. You'd be tempted to give up. You'd be tempted to just say, well, forget it. I'm going to settle for something else then. If this thing is so elusive, if this thing is so out there that I can't seem to fully grasp it, then forget it. I'll go back to what I knew. I'm not going to do anything else. But for some of us, for some of us, that idea that there is something out there that we can't fully grasp drives us forward, moves us forward. My argument to you is this, and this is a hard thing for us to grasp. Our relationship with God and the relationship that people in the scriptures had with God was more like that goal that was never fully attainable. And in fact, the whole book of Hebrews is about that tension. The writer of Hebrews was telling the believers in Jesus Christ, look, I know you want to give up, but press on. Don't give up. Keep moving forward. This is a hard thing. We want, we're Americans, right? We want to attain the thing. We want to get the thing. We want to succeed. We want to achieve. And I think that perhaps there's something in our culture that makes it hard to be a follower of God because there is this idea that while we have a part, we don't have fully who God is and what his plans are for us. That's a really, really hard thing. Let me read another passage of Scripture from also from Hebrews 11. The author of Hebrews goes on to, to mention other uh, character, other biblical figures. And then, he's, and then the, the author says this, all these people, all these people in Scripture were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. The author basically is saying, you can go back. You can have an opportunity to return. 
But all of these people mentioned in Hebrews 11, the author says, instead they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Do you guys know that the point of all of God's story is that there will one day be a city for all of the followers of God to live in, a new heaven and a new earth and a city. So all of this living that we're doing now, one day we will live eternally in this city that God has made. And when we have a vision of that, that's what we're moving towards. And in the meantime, I recognize more than anyone that living now is really hard. It seems like that thing can't come soon enough. How many of us have ever wished when we hear about a friend dying or being diagnosed with cancer as Riley prayed for earlier or horrible atrocities on the other side of the world or in our own city that we pray, Lord Jesus, just come because this is too horrible to live with. Those kind of prayers are accepted. In fact, even encouraged in the pages of Scripture in Hebrews 11 is full of examples of people that were in that same place of tension, living in between. So what's our hope in all this? What's our hope when this city, this place that God is moving us towards seems so far off? What's our hope in all that? Well, Hebrews 12 talks about that Jesus himself had that same tension that he lived in. That Jesus had experienced this punishment, the, this sacrifice of his own life with the longing that God was up to something, that God was going to do something remarkable with this. Let me read to you from Hebrews 12, and I love how Eugene Peterson in the translation called The Message puts this because it combines both an encouragement to us about what we are to do while we're living in this in-between time and then shows us how Jesus dealt with this as well. Hebrews 12 from The Message says, Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. And when you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your soul. 
I don't know how many of us with that last line feel like that brings adrenaline into your soul. But the author of Hebrews was wanting to tell us that Jesus experienced the same exact thing that we are experiencing now. That in-between time, that in-between time of wondering when God will redeem reconcile, make everything right again, the broken relationship, the trauma that we experienced, whatever it might be, that God will make things right again. This semester, we are planning on tackling some issues that I know I've never preached about as a pastor. Things like sexual abuse, Shame, anxiety, depression. We're looking at people in Scripture that experienced these things as well. And we're in that place of living in between, waiting for God to do more. And these three objects up here represent three of those people. In 1 Samuel chapter 28, the very first king of Israel, Saul, was so worried about what was going to happen to his kingdom when the Philistine army was camping around him that he wanted to know what was going to happen. So he went and consulted a witch, the witch of Endor, who told him exactly, well, the spirit of Samuel that came back told him exactly what was going to happen. And we're going to look in the coming weeks of when we go consult some ridiculous things, we may not like the answers that we get. The running shoes represent the prophet Elijah, who was so afraid for his life when he was standing up against a king and a queen, the queen Jezebel, who threatened his own life. He ran and he ran and he ran and he hid. And in the scriptures that we're going to look at, we're going to look at how Elijah wished he was dead. He wished that his life would be taken from him. He didn't want to live anymore. He ran and he hid and he didn't want to live another day. And in the New Testament, this platter, this cup, this fruit represents person of Martha. Martha, Martha, Jesus said, you are worried and anxious about many things, but your sister has chosen what is better. If you know that story, Martha got consumed and anxious and worried, and we live in an anxious world. And there are many of us within this room that may be struggling even now with anxious thoughts, anxious feelings. And in the pages of Scripture, there are all these examples and more of the places that we find ourselves in waiting for God to do more, to do what he said he was going to do, to make all things new, to reconcile, to redeem, and to forgive. And so I hope that you'll join us 
over these next 13 weeks of the semester when it will be a little bit warmer than 8 or 10 degrees or whatever it is. As we unpack the pages of Scripture and realize that we have a lot of company in the people that we find in the Bible, as we are also in a place of being in between, wondering when God is going to do what he said he was going to do. Let's pray together. Father, you know that we are not a patient people. And perhaps we are not good at trusting either your goodness. We wonder how long. We wonder if the things that we have done, the things that have been done to us, if there will ever be any sort of hope again. Will we ever see past where we find ourselves now? Lord, in those times, as we walk through this this semester, may we keep our eyes on Jesus. As we prayed earlier, may he show himself so clearly to us as one who also ran the race that we are in, suffering for us and longing in hope and trusting that you are a God who fulfills promises and is moving us forward. Even if what you have promised seems elusive to us and far off, you call us onward. You call us to press on, knowing that in us you are at work and in the world you are at work. And one day when you come again, all things will be made right. We thank you for that. Even in the midst of our doubts and questions, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.